we are in a sermon series in Mark, and um, it's Family Sunday. So we're going to continue in Mark, but uh, the sermon today is going to be a little bit shorter and a little more directed at, at uh, children than, uh, than normal. Um, and uh, we'll continue on through Mark uh, and kind of more of our normal way of doing things next week. But we wanted to take this morning and just, we have a ton of young kids. We have a ton of kids uh, in this church, and uh, we want them to know that we love them, that we care about them, uh, and that Jesus cares about them. Uh, and one of the ways that we can do that is just by showing them particular attention, that, uh, telling them that we notice them, that we recognize their presence, that Jesus notices them, that he knows them, that he uh, cares about them as well. And, and, and we can do that by uh, having this family Sunday gathering together. So that's why we're doing this. Uh, and uh, I know that it will be a blessing uh, for our kids, and it will be a blessing for us, uh, because there's really nothing um, better than the, the kind of simple gospel uh, that we see in today's passage, which is Mark 2, verses 13 to 17. Mark 2, verses 13 to 17. Uh, and once you arrive there, if you stand with me for the reading of God's holy and precious word, These words were written by the hand of Mark and inspired by the Holy Spirit so that they come to us the very same authority as if Jesus Christ was himself standing here saying these very words to us this morning. So let's listen with that kind of reverence and that kind of joy uh, that such a weighty thing calls for. Mark 2, 13 through 17. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit so that all the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Through Christ our Lord, we pray these things. Amen. Be seated. Boys and girls, I I want you to finish this line for me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That's right. That saved a wretch like me. That saved a wretch like me. Now, you might know this, but the man that wrote those words was a man by the name of John Newton. And John Newton was rotten to the core. And he wasn't particularly attractive either. Um, 
is a great head of hair, though. Uh, there he is, John Newton. Uh, he was rotten to the core. He was a man who lived in sin and rebellion. He rebelled against his parents. He rebelled against those that he worked for. He rebelled against those in charge of him at the Navy and eventually deserted in the Navy. And then eventually, after most people decided that they wanted nothing to do with John Newton, he started doing something especially despicable. He started to steal and sell people which is a sin punishable by death in the Old Testament. He started to steal and sell people. You see, John Newton ran a ship that would sail all the way to Africa, and he would load up people on his ship, and he would take them back to his home in England to sell them there as slaves. John was not a good man. John was a sinner. John was a wretch. And yet one day, everything changed for John. One day when he was on his ship out in the the great big ocean without any land in sight, there was a massive storm that came that threatened to tear his ship in two. The waves were as tall as your house. The, the, The thunder and lightning was as constant and loud as fireworks on the 4th of July. The the, the rain poured down like a waterfall and filled his ship to the brim. John was scared out of his wits. He was sure he wasn't going to make it through the storm. He was certain that he was going to die. And so he cried out to God. He said, God, save me. And God answered. Because what John didn't fully know in that moment, but would later come to understand, is that God came into this world in order to save people like him. He came into the world to save wretches like him. And that's the big idea that we want to look at this morning, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I want to talk with you and explain that big idea by simply walking through the story of our text this morning. And it's a story in which we see details about Jesus and Matthew, Jesus and sinners, and then Jesus and you. So first, let's look at the first two verses, which talk about Jesus and Matthew, verses 13 and 14. Mark writes, Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. So Jesus was going about doing what he'd been doing a lot up until this point in Mark's gospel. He was going about teaching and preaching. And as he's going about teaching and preaching, he comes to the beach. Who likes going to the beach? Yes, we all like going to the beach. Going to the beach is fun. So Jesus goes to the beach and he's telling people there about the kingdom of God. And as he's on the beach, he comes to a tax booth. And in this tax booth sits a man called Levi. His name is actually Matthew, uh, and he's the same person as the Apostle Matthew, and the same person that wrote the Gospel of Matthew, which is the book that comes right before Mark. But like John Newton, Matthew was not always a follower of Jesus. Matthew used to be a wretch, rotten to the core, you see, because Matthew was a tax collector. Now, boys and girls, we have tax collectors still around today, 
and you may have heard your parents complaining about them once or twice, but you should know that in Jesus' time and in the place in which he lived, tax collectors were different. They were some of the biggest sinners around, and here's why. Tax collectors worked with the government of Rome to collect money from the people of Israel. And uh, this Rome was the country that invaded and defeated Israel in a great war, and then they forced Israel to submit to them and pay them taxes. And then these tax collectors in Israel were Israelites, they were people of the nation of Israel, who worked with the Roman government to collect those taxes. And then to make matters worse, tax collectors would often take more money from the Israelites than they actually needed to, and they would steal that money to keep it for themselves. So they betrayed and lied to and stole from their very own people. How many of you guys have uh, read or watched The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Um, Yeah, a lot of you. It's a wonderful book. Uh, Well, the tax collectors in Jesus' day, were viewed kind of like Edmund early on in the story of the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. There he is with the little dwarf that's serving him. Uh, who remembers what the, uh, the white witch gave? Uh, what, Evie, what did he give him? No, not quite. It was Turkish delight. You remember that? Turkish delight. He was giving them this candy, this, this uh, dessert, Turkish delight. Um, and now Edmund, he was one of the four siblings, one of the four uh, Pavinzi children who stumbled into Narnia through the wardrobe. And when they get into the wardrobe, when they get into Narnia through the wardrobe, uh, Peter and Susan and Lucy join up with the good kingdom of Narnia. And Narnia was under the cruel reign of the white witch. But Edmund, on the other hand, joins up with the white witch because she gave him some delicious Turkish delight. And so he goes to the white witch and he betrays his brothers and sisters and all of Narnia by telling the white witch where his siblings were so that she might go there and kill them. He betrayed his own siblings and all of Narnia because of his own greed and his love for delightful food, Turkish delight. Well, tax collectors in Israel during Jesus's ministry were like that. They were greedy thieves who betrayed their own people. And now here's the thing though, Matthew might be even worse than other tax collectors. Notice here that Matthew is not called Matthew, he's called Levi. And that's actually not a name so much as it is a title. He was called Levi because he belonged to the tribe of the Levites in Israel. And do you guys know what the Levites in Israel were called to do? They were called to be priests in the temple. They were called to worship God and to lead the rest of Israel in worshiping God as well. But instead of being in the temple as he ought to have been, Matthew was in the tax booth. And so he may have been even worse than other tax collectors. And yet, what does Jesus do when he happens upon Matthew here in this tax booth? What does he do? Does he call Matthew names behind his back? Does he, does he yell at Matthew and call Matthew? None of that. He doesn't yell at Matthew. He doesn't talk about him behind his back. He doesn't call him names. Notice what Jesus does to Matthew. He calls Matthew to follow him. And then Matthew gets up and he leaves behind the tax booth and all of the betraying and lying and stealing and he follows Jesus because Jesus came to save a wretch like him. Boys and girls, I want you to know this. 
There is never anyone too sinful or too wicked or too evil that Jesus can't save them. There might be other children in your life that you look at, look at and, and, and you don't particularly like them. They may be in your extended family, in your neighborhood, from your school. Uh, you don't like them. They think that you're, uh, you think that they're too bad for you to love them. But we should never think of anyone in that way because they might just be your future brother or sister in Jesus and in the church. Maybe you might think of yourself as being too bad for God. Maybe you often feel bad because you have such a hard time obeying your parents. Maybe you often feel bad because you you struggle with thinking really bad thoughts that you don't want to think about. Maybe you struggle, you you get in trouble quite a bit because you're not kind and generous and, and gentle toward your siblings, but you're rude and mean and hurtful to your siblings. And you think that because of those sins, God doesn't want you and he won't love you, but boys and girls, Take it from Matthew, take it from John Newton. Jesus loves sinners. He came to save sinners. He came for people like John Newton and Matthew. He came for people like you and me. And that brings us next to Jesus and sinners. Mark goes on to tell us about what happened during, uh, after Jesus' time on the beach. Jesus went over to Matthew's house for dinner. And uh, we pick it up in verse 15. It says, and as Jesus reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So many of Matthew's friends came with Jesus over to Matthew's house for dinner. And Jesus was there, and he's dining, he's eating dinner with all of these sinners and these tax collectors. People like Matthew and John Newton and Edmund Pavinzi were there. But there were people also who noticed this, And they didn't like that Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. These were the scribes and the Pharisees. How many of you guys have ever read the Jesus Storybook Bible? You ever read the Jesus? Yes, it's a very good storybook Bible. And in that book, Sally Lloyd-Jones calls these these, uh, Pharisees and scribes super uh, super extra holy people. Uh, They were super extra holy people. They thought that they were really, really good And so they thought that Jesus shouldn't have been spending time with these sinners, but that he should have been spending time with these super extra holy people instead. And so Mark tells us that the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? You know, they're they're confused because they were thinking, shouldn't Jesus try to spend time with good people like us? Why would Jesus spend time with bad people and sinful people and wretched people like Matthew and John Newton and Edmund? Why would he spend time with people like that? Well, Jesus actually hears them ask this question, and so he answers them. Listen to what he says. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He's saying that healthy people who aren't sick or hurt don't need the doctor to come to them. It's people who are hurt or sick who need a doctor. In the same way, just as a doctor comes to help sick people, Jesus has come to help sinful people. Boys and girls, how many of you really like ambulances? Ambulances are super cool. Have you ever seen an ambulance with its loud sirens and its, it's uh, super bright sirens drive by? That's super cool. How many of you ever been in an ambulance? Anyone? Yeah. Well, that's not so cool, actually, but uh, ambulances are super cool. They're really helpful. Um, but 
why does an ambulance come? Does it come to get you when you're healthy and well and doing all right? Does it, does it come to get you when you're doing okay, when you're healthy, when you're not hurt at all? Or does it come, does it only come to get you when you're hurt or sick? Well, just like that, Jesus came not for the healthy and well. He came for the hurting and sick. He came for sinful people to forgive them and help them change. Now, in saying this, Jesus is not saying that there are people out there who are too good to need him and his forgiveness. He's saying that there are people out there who think that they're too good to need him and his forgiveness. And that if you think you're good enough to get by without Jesus's forgiveness and help, well, then Jesus will just let you continue to think that. Parents, if if I might apply this to you for a moment, if I might apply this to you for a moment, we ought to love our children enough to tell them that they are sinners. Love your children well by telling them that they are sinners. And by that, I don't mean that you should scold them. I don't mean that you should shame them. I don't mean that you should, you know, heap uh, huge guilt trips on them. I'm not saying that, none of that. But so often as parents, we are faced with the sins of our children And in those moments, we can take a a passive route and simply choose to ignore their sin. Uh, We can take a moralistic route and rely on, on moral platitudes and simply tell them to try harder the next time. Or we can take the gospel route and we can talk with them about their sin and their need for Jesus and how Jesus's grace changes us. And Scripture tells us that if we take that passive route and we ignore their sin, we hate our children. We actually hate them. And, and, and you know what? I, I somehow doubt that most of you are tempted to take that route. I bet most of us would be more tempted to, to take the moralistic route and, and simply tell our children to, to try harder the next time and, and answer them with kind of moral platitudes. And if we do that, listen, we very well might be inoculating our children against the gospel and raising them to be more like the scribes and Pharisees in this passage who aren't coming to Jesus because they believe themselves to be self-sufficient and and self-righteous. Instead, we should teach our children to see themselves as the sinners and tax collectors in this passage who know that they have need of Jesus and who therefore come to him and have fellowship with him. Be honest with your children. Love them enough to tell them that they are sinners in need of Christ's salvation. And boys and girls, if I can speak to you for a moment, you have two choices in this life regarding how you will relate to Jesus. You can be like the scribes and Pharisees here. You can think yourself to be self-sufficient and self-righteous and that you don't need Jesus as your savior and physician. You, You can be someone who thinks that they're good because they're being raised in church. You can think of yourself as someone who's good because your parents are Christians. You can, you can think yourself to be good because you check all the boxes of a good little boy or girl. Or you can see yourself as you really are, as Jesus sees you, as a sin-sick person who needs him to come forgive you and save you and heal you and help you change to become more like him. And that's what I want to talk with you last about. Jesus and you. Jesus and you. Boys and girls. Many of you have been around Veritas for quite a long time, and you've heard about Jesus much. You've heard about him from your parents. You've heard about him from from church on Sunday mornings. You've heard about him at your community group. And you know that Jesus is God, 
and that he came as a man into our world and that he lived the perfect life and that he died for our sins on the cross and that he rose three days later to give us new life. And, and, and you might believe that to be true, and you should because it is true. It is true. But you need more than to know that these things are true. You also need to respond to them yourself. You need to know that Jesus came for you, that he died on the cross for you and rose again for you, and that he did so to forgive you and help you change. And then you need to respond by receiving his grace and forgiveness for yourself. You are not automatically a Christian because your parents are or because you come to church on Sunday mornings. You need to follow and trust in Jesus yourself. You need to know that you're a sinner like Matthew, like John Newton, like Edmund, and that Jesus came for them and you and me alike to save us. And in order to receive Jesus for yourself, you need to do two things. First, you need to confess your fault. You need to confess your fault. You need to confess that you are a sinner in need of Jesus' grace and forgiveness and healing. You need to confess that you deserve punishment for your sin and that apart from His grace, you have nothing to give to God that He should accept you. Don't be self-righteous. Don't be self-sufficient like the scribes and Pharisees. Confess your fault and your need like a sinner and tax collector. But then next, not only confess your fault, you need to commit to follow. Commit to follow. See how Matthew follows Jesus here. He leaves behind his tax booth, his sin, his lying, his stealing, his betraying, and he follows Jesus. And following Jesus means to submit to him as your master and your Lord. You seek to model your life after him and what he has taught in his word. You read the Bible and you seek to believe the Bible and obey the Bible. That's what Matthew did and for the rest of his life. He, he lived for Jesus and he helped others do the same. And that's what John Newton did too. We talked about John Newton at the beginning. After Jesus saved John Newton from his sin, John Newton stopped stealing and selling people. And instead of continuing to steal and sell people, he actually gave the rest of his life to trying to put a stop to his country stealing and selling people. He sought to live for Jesus in the same way for the rest of his life. And in the same way, you need to follow Jesus as your master and Lord. And if you confess your fault and commit to follow Jesus, he will save you. He will forgive you for your sin. He will change you into the kind of person he's calling you to be. And you will live with him forever and ever in the new world that he is preparing for us. Boys and girls, now, we're soon going to have a family baptism class here at Veritas for those of you who want to commit to following Jesus. And this is for those under the age of 18. If you're under the age of 18, uh, it will be three Sundays right after church, the last Sunday of September, and then the first two Sundays of October. And if you want to follow Jesus, or you simply want to learn more about what it means to follow Jesus, then we want you and one of your parents to join us for those classes. Because baptism is actually one of the first steps that Jesus calls us to when we commit to follow him. It's what he called all those who confess their fault and, and commit to following him to do once they begin to follow him. And so if you want to commit to following Jesus, talk with your parents, talk uh, with them about uh, coming to the, to the baptism class coming up soon, talk with them about how you want to follow Jesus yourself. 
Because the very words that Jesus said to Matthew here, he's saying to you, he's saying, follow me. Follow Jesus. Confess your fault to him and commit to following him because he came for you and me and all those who need his forgiveness. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, effectually call those who are here this morning who don't trust in you into trusting you, into confessing their fault to you, into committing to follow you. May the, the, the voice of Jesus shine through through what we've just heard, and may all of us respond with commitment to following Jesus and modeling our lives after him, trusting in him and obeying him in all things. We pray particularly for the children here, those who are, who are wrestling with whether or not they truly believe, we pray that you would guide them, that you would govern them, that you would create uh, fruitful conversations between them and their parents, uh, and we pray that you would save them, that you would call them, and that they would be baptized and joined to this people so that they might follow Jesus for the rest of their lives and be with him in the new heaven and the new earth for your glory. Lord, we pray that you would answer these things by the presence and power of your Spirit, for the fame and glory of the name of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.